Welcome to the Progressive Property Podcast. Helping you invest in property for freedom, choice and profit. You'll learn new, innovative and multiple streams of property income. Whether you want to start, scale or systemize. And even if you don't have deposits. Hi, Kevin McDonald here and today I'm joined by Jerome Reuth who is a property developer educator. And the reason for bringing him on here today and talking to you is that we do things very differently in property. And for many people, many of our listeners, you will be thinking, where do I get started in property? What might be the right route into property for me? And I thought it'd be good to get somebody in who's very different to what I do, but yet does things that work really well in property. So um, Jerome, thanks for joining us. Uh, Thanks for having me, Kevin. Uh, It's a real pleasure to be on the progressive podcast that you host. Uh, I'm Jerome Reith. I'm a property developer and educator, uh, husband and father of four kids. Um, I mean, today I'm particularly interested in learning more about what you do. I've I've never been in the property investment space, Mm. apart from houses I live in. Um, and I think it's a really good compliment that we have completely different business models. Yeah. But I also reckon as, as we explore this, there'll be a lot of similarities that will come out, particularly with deal structures and small deposits and that sort of stuff. Yeah, so obviously you do a lot of land and not the house itself, while I more typically get involved in when the bricks and mortar is built. So, yeah. um, but the ways and the methods of how you do that would be very interesting for, for the audience and everybody listening in. So, um, let's go back to the start. When did you get started in property? How long have you been doing this? So, been in property since uh, 1994. Before that, um, I was in uh, restaurants and hotels. Went to college, got uh, did a two-year BTEC in catering and hotel management. Had no idea I was going to end up in property. Worked at a five-star hotel opposite Buckingham Palace and served people like the Queen Mother and Margaret Thatcher. So that sort of level, which started to give me a bit of an understanding of stuff like high-end service. And there's levels to all this stuff that we do. Mm. Got into property in 94. Back then there was no socials. You basically answered an advert in a local newspaper for jobs. Started out as an office junior, making the tea doing photocopying, don't even know if those roles exist anymore. (laughs) I don't know whether it's like woke enough for it, I don't know. Um, Set up my own agency, residential estate agency in central London in 97. Built that up to reasonable levels, you know, lettings, sales, management, the the traditional model, sold that in 2006. And then uh, worked in the city for two years. The credit crunch was the defining moment on life and where things had gone wrong in terms of relying on someone else to pay you. That's really interesting because that was my defining moment too. So, you know, I kind of liken that to COVID in terms of those moments where I was able to pause, reflect and go, what am I doing in my life? Started buying individual flats in zone four, zone five locations in London, borrowing money off mates, you couldn't really get funding probably between about 08 and 2011, it was mm. difficult to, to fund anything. Yeah. Borrowed the money, doing up studio flats and one beds, not making huge money, trading them on for margins, new kitchen, new bathroom, new flooring. Then got a call from a mate I was at school with, hadn't seen him for 20 years. He said, I'm involved with a private equity fund up in Edinburgh. Do you want to get involved? There's this new thing happening called 
permitted development. Yeah. Which started in May 2013. We got in there on day one, picked off four buildings in 18 months, 200 units, acting as main developer, contractor, de-risking them to HAs. So forward selling, mm. reducing your margin because it's de-risked yeah. and knowing you've got your exit at the end before you've even got your PD. Yeah. The exit was there. So for anyone listening in, by the way, HA's Housing Association, so you know you, you've got government money buying them off you. Yeah, I mean, that's quite an interesting space at the moment mm. because that whole thing is in a massive bubble again as well. Maybe we'll come back to that. Yeah. Then what I understood was working with these guys was scale. Yeah. That the same skill set to buy a two-bed house and make it a three-bed is the same as buying five two-beds at the same time and converting them into five three bedrooms or a whole terrace yeah for me on the land side that's getting planning for five houses is the same as 25. yeah that's what they taught me in that whole private equity space then set up on my own uh for the last eight years i've been taking planning risk i've built a bit of new build quite a lot of new build housing bungalows in particular premium product the grey pound, I call it. Uh, they don't really need mortgages. So they're not subject to valuations, really. And there's a premium attached to the product. Mm. Um, the planning gain is very interesting. It carries risk, just like anything does. Um, it's becoming harder to get planning. It's taking longer to get planning. But the rewards are there. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's what I've been doing, mm. and we're just going harder and harder at it. Mm. So yeah, for, so you mentioned there 2006 because actually I I started in 2003, came to the UK 2001, and in 2003 um, I was sharing a house. I was living in a house of multiple occupation with four lads I worked with, and one of them was buying property in South Africa, and got me interested in property, and I went to the property investor show at the Excel Center in 2003 and got introduced to off-plan abroad. And I had eight grand in savings that I'd managed to save up from being in, in, in the job for a couple of years. And I put it down on two off-plan abroad at the Property Investor Show at Excel. And then I went back to Ireland for Christmas and went to a property show in Ireland and bought another one in Turkey. So I ended up with an off-plan property in Estonia, an off-plan property in Bulgaria, and an off-plan property in Turkey. With eight grand invested in, and having to make the final payments and the staged payments and the promise of mortgages and it'll be worth more when it's built, uh, Estonia never got built. So 2007 came before they were built and just like you had the, the recession issues of 07, um, I made a different choice to you though. You had the defining moment and my moment in 2007 was, oh fuck, if I can say that, beep it out. Um, I had a property in Estonia where the developer went bust and never built it. I had one in Turkey that I managed to sell a couple of years later in the middle of the crash for half what I paid for it. Um, and I had one in Bulgaria that got finished. And almost that was the unfortunate one because it got finished and then it got completely trashed. So it was 56 apartments. Imagine 56 apartments in one block. And the developer literally went in and trashed every one of them because they were charging extortionate management fees and we under Bulgarian law could vote them out as the manager. So we voted them out and then we realized that we had voted out the local mafia and they trashed them all. So 56 apartments owned by Irish and English investors and my 0789, this happened between 0789, the three of them started to fall apart in the crash. 
and I owed over 135 grand that I still had to pay. So my moment was I quit and did nothing. So I then realized by 2013, I, had, I was living in a room in a shared house trying to dig my way out of debt. And in 2013, I still owed over 100 grand. And I kind of had the realization that if I don't do something, I'll be paying this off for the rest of my life. And the paradox was the thing that put me in debt was property, but I realized the quickest way out of debt was property. So I, I got in again. But because I had no money, I had to get creative. So I started doing lots of creative deals, rent to rents, uh, lease options. I'd go to a landlord and say, listen, give me your property, I'll profit share with you. So I'll run it as a house of multiple occupation. I'll run it in a different way for you. And you get X amount and I'll share everything above that with you. So just give me a shot. And started to do individual deals and then use the cash flow to start to buy and get joint venture partners to invest in property deals. So, so, so interesting what you spoke about there about um, taking the individual house and doing one and converting it or doing three, four, five. Uh, what I've, and, and I guess a lot of what you do, you, you buy and sell stuff while I'm much buy and hold. I don't know how much you hold and stuff, but um, I've always done cash flow, which is not owning it at all, rent to rent, just take a property off a landlord, cash flow, give them X amount and we cash flow a profit. And then the long term hold. So taking the single property, turn a two bed house into a three bed, adding some value, but without any real name need for planning permission. So I can get the keys, get straight in, do the work. And it's, I guess, the tortoise and the hare. So it's interesting on, on the approach you take and what you do development wise. So have, do you hold stock or do you sell everything on? So there are two strings to the business. It's, so firstly, it's we don't buy with planning because I don't want to pay another developer their margin. They've taken all the meat off the bone. Mm. I've got the expertise to do that. So we sell to developers. I kind of liken it without being arrogant. I don't know whether into football or rugby. I think rugby. I saw your thing the other day. You're watching the Ireland game, South Africa. Right? Anything where right. the Irish are doing well at. Right. Yeah. <laughs> of course. So in rugby, I would liken it to dining at the World Cup. Yeah. In terms of selling to developers, right? And so that's that's profit one. Yeah. Buy without planning, get the planning. Make a decision on whether you're going to build it out because you make your money when you buy and not when you sell. And this is a really important mm. thing for your audience, yeah. for whoever. There's too many people running around not making enough of a margin and mm. taking all the risk. Yeah. I guess the whole rent to rent thing, I've never done it. I've spoken to my son about getting into it. He's 19. He lives in London. Yeah. And I've had a lot of rent to rent people on my course. And I get it. It's the same as what we do. It's, tr it's trading on something for a margin. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And then profit pot number two is build it. Yeah. With all the uncertainties that brings. And I believe, unless you're a, a, a national house builder, a Barrett's, a Red Row, a Persimmon, or a builder that's become a developer, I don't see how it's possible to make good money in new build at the moment. Mm, with the cost of material. Yeah. Mm. Inflationary, and it's going to be deflationary construction materials And the now. inability at the back end for the buyer to get the mortgage and so on. All, all that stuff, mm. because everyone's paying more now, aren't they? Yeah. So it's just very, very interesting space. But 
the whole 2008 thing, I was buying a house. My second kid had been born. I was on a highly paid consultancy role in the city. Uh, company credit card, all that nonsense, expense account. And it all went pear-shaped the day after, the, the, the week after Lehman Brothers went. Mm. And Bear Stearns and the run on Northern Rock, all that. Went into the office. Your consultancy role is being made redundant. Didn't know what I was going to do. Pulled out the house purchase. And what that did was, that set off a chain of events, which is still directly linked to what I do today. You know that thing about what doesn't break us defines us. Yeah. Great believer in that. Great believer in all this shit, excuse my language, that we have been put through makes us who we are today. Mm. Uh, property is something that will always have money in it. Mm. Dabble with crypto, just not huge numbers, just a bit of fun. I know nothing about it. Um, I've started buying sports memorabilia, but like the really rare stuff. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot of fake authenticity certificates as that with that. And then there's like luxury watches. Mm. Yeah, there's all these things. But as I've got older, I tell you what I really believe. You become an expert in your field. You hone your craft. It's when I move into other things, that's when I make mistakes. Mm. What's really interesting what you just said there is, is I meet a lot of people, especially at our events, and they say, um, I'd love to do property, but I, I don't want to quit my job. I love my job too. And what I actually say to them is, is a scenario like you had, because many people I meet, this happens as well, is you might love your job, but what if your job falls out of love with you? What if they let you go? What's your safety net? What have you got as the side hustle, as an income coming in? And what so many people do is they, they say, well, I'm, I'm buying crypto, but they're buying crypto, which is the Wild West in a way, with earned income. So they're in a job, they're saving a certain amount of money after they paid all the bills, they're putting it into crypto, or they're putting it into stocks and shares, or they put it into the watch, or into the, you know, the, the cars, or the memorabilia, or whatever it may be. And that's their retirement plan. But we take on a rent-to-rent property, so they're almost working and spending their time earning money to buy those things, or to invest in those stocks and shares. I do crypto. I do, although if you ever see a Kevin McDonald Facebook group, Instagram group, LinkedIn group or whatever, I put a page that says I'm selling you Bitcoin, it's fake. It's not me. There's loads of them out there. Um, but I, in the background, I don't promote crypto. I don't teach crypto. I don't do anything like that. But I do invest in it. But I don't invest earned money. I wouldn't risk my kids' inheritance. I wouldn't risk um, money from my job on it. So what we do is we take, for, I've got what I call buckets and I take on a rent to rent property. And if that property makes 500 quid a month, I'll use that 500 quid a month to lease a car for my wife. If, an, if I get a couple and they bring in a thousand pound a month, I'll take that thousand pound a month and I'll invest that into crypto. I'll get another one that brings in 500 quid a month and I'll use that and I'll invest it into stocks and shares. So the property, a lot of people think they need to make money in a job to invest in property, to buy land, to buy a house, whatever it may be. Or they need to make money in a job, invest in crypto, and when crypto makes them wealthy, then they'll buy property. Well, I see it the opposite way around. I believe you can make money in property today and use that money to invest in the other stuff. 
What's your thoughts on that? So this is about mindset. Mm. It's about education, of course it is, but the key word you mentioned in that was time. Yes. Now, I've, I've, I'm only now beginning to get a grasp of time and valuing our time. And the older you get, the more valuable your time is because your expertise is greater because you've got more experience. Mm. Now, this is when this whole hands-off property gig comes into the fore. It's, you know, Warren Buffet said, if you're not making money when you're asleep, you'll work till you die. I told my eldest child that last mm. week. And he said, wow, he said, so what does that mean? He asked me whether I'm making money when I'm asleep. And we had a little discussion about it, what that really means. And this is this whole income stream or something always on the go. So are you still doing rent to rent? Yeah. Right. Mm. So we've, we've done so many, we set up our own letting agency basically to manage it. So we, we manage all of the purchased property, the rent to rent properties and other landlords properties through an agency. So I. I took. I didn't want to be paying another agent thousands of pounds a month to manage property, so I just took it in house. And where are they? All around Nottinghamshire. Right. So that's your patch. Yeah. Because so what we do, I don't need a patch. I'm mm. basically nationwide. Yeah. And people say to me, "How do you do that?" It's systems. Mm. It's the processes to value a piece of land. And knowing we're paying the right money for it is the same all over mm. England. I guess with rental values, yeah. it's not. Mm. It's completely different. And I guess Nottingham's good for students, right? Um, we, we do more in the working people right, rather than students. The main right. reason for that is because of uh, people like you. And what I mean by that is um, most universities over the last 10 to 15 yeah. years have built student complexes. Yeah. So you'd go get planning gain on a piece of land, sell it to the developer who builds a student complex and then screws up the private landlord with the rental property near a university. Yeah. Now that private landlord's lazy and they, and when I say lazy, I love you if you're listening, um, they want to take a property on, they rent it to a tenant, a student in September and they get the keys back in July or they pay a little bit over the winter and they, they, over the summer and that tenant, that students have it for three years while they're in uni. Um, but then that market near universities started to dry up with the big complexes with the swimming pools and the gyms and so on. So we then actually use rent to rent on those. So we go to the landlords and say, I noticed you've, it's October and you've not rented your property out. And we're heading into October right now, which is a great time. You've not rented your property out yet. There's no students. You're going to be empty till next year. We'll give you guaranteed rent for it. And then we take it, improve it. So students, landlords, old school student landlords, would maybe let's say let the student live in a house that's got magnolia walls and crappy furniture and different colored furniture. So we would rip all of that out. We'd put feature walls in, we'd put nice furniture in and then rent it to professionals and create a margin. So we're taking one person's problem and creating a solution. Um, but it's very much you need to be on the ground in the area. So then to be able to do what you do with land, you're, I get you're, you don't have a, a tenant to take care of because it's it's just a piece of ground so we have to go visit the property meet the tenant do inspections so what i've done from our central office in Man in nottingham is i've got joint venture partners on rent to rent around the country so some of the, the students i teach 
if there's one in Cambridge, one in Portsmouth, etc., we do a joint venture. So again, it's back to time, knowledge and money, where I put the knowledge in their head. They use the knowledge of their area, my knowledge of the strategy. So we share knowledge because they're the subject matter expert of Portsmouth. Um, and then they use their time, but then I fund the upfront cost of the rent to rent deal. So what we do is a JV together um, and it becomes a win-win. I know they're taught properly because I taught them. They go out in their area, they find a deal, but they don't necessarily have the funds for that deal or the back office support. So I get the office, etc. So in our strategy on rent to rent, you gotta have that knowledge on the ground. So I do the JV structure while with you, yeah, I get, you don't need to have the knowledge on the ground, do you? So what you've just said is very interesting. So to run a nationwide business, the principle of a JV partner is the same. Mm. So an agent will bring us a site or it might be someone I've educated, chartered surveyor, that wants to become a developer, hasn't got the money. Yeah. Or might not have the mindset. You know, that, that drive, that extra level. So I'll say, you know, say, right, I've got this site. No problem. We'll fund the planning, we'll fund the construction, we'll give you a share of the profit. Similar sort of thing. Mm. Provide the capital. And that enables us, I think like you're saying, to scale quicker and get more mass. Yeah. The student thing, so I... So my stepdaughter is in student accommodation in a city that shall remain nameless, but you know how small it is, right? The, the world, particularly property development, mm. the whole student cluster thing. Fascinating, right? Latest accommodation moved in last week. The huge money in it. Mm. You can see why you're doing rent to rent on the stuff that hasn't let because there's another market as well. Yeah. Makes complete sense what you've just said. Never heard that before. Target them in late September, October, because then they've got a problem. Mm. So not only is it the 36-week rent that you're really paying 52 weeks for as a student, they've taken a 1970s former nurses and doctor's accommodation in a major city with 1970s building regs, done a bit of a a tart up on it, you know the drill. Got four rooms in a cluster. This is second year accommodation. They're charging 145 quid a room, Mm. a week, right? So times that by four, whatever that is, let's call it 600 a week. The rent is for 52 weeks because that's how they pro rata it. It's just the whole thing I found very interesting Mm. and the quality is very average. There are some good student developers mm. because you see that scale, yeah. you know, that stuff, 400 units. Yeah. It works at 300 units plus yeah. because then when then you what you do is you sell that to an institutional investor. It's all very fascinating, all this stuff. So after they've got their planning and they funded the construction, they've already de-risked it by the exit to legal and general or yeah. some university pension fund. Yeah. Interesting. So um, with your land, you, you're not building it out at all. So uh, you like, are you, are you, build out, you build out some, but... Yeah, so um, because of the returns that I look for... Yeah, most of it's in planning gain. Most of it will be in planning gain, but all that's when the investor gets their money. Yeah. On, on when the planning consent lands. 
Uh, I've built stuff as recently as 18 months ago, yeah. new build. Um, the stuff we've got going through at the moment, multiple sites in different local authorities, some of it will get built. Some of the developments will be serviced. So that's the utilities, if you're not sure what servicing means. An estate road, gas, water, electric, up to the plot. And then you can exit then. You can sell a plot to an end user. All different ways of doing yeah. it. You don't necessarily have to build everything out. But with the cost of development finance, I'm mean, interested to talk about finance as well. With what's happened to the cost of development finance and bridging finance, it's cheaper for me to get an investor to bankroll everything. So that's part one of my conversation with property developer Jerome Roth. We've broken this down into three different episodes. So make sure you come back next week for episode two, where we'll be talking about how we finance properties, the different ways we look at finance, whether it be development wise or what I do, which is the longer term hold as rental properties. So I'll see you back here next week. Speak soon.